The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast with your host, Jamie Dew, Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna, and featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew. Thank you so much, Doug and Nat. It is uh, fantastic to be here, as always. My name is Jamie Dew. I am the host and curator of the SNL Hall of Fame. The SNL Hall of Fame podcast is a weekly affair. Each week, we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and then add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the 30 nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and determine who will be enshrined in the SNL Hall of Fame for perpetuity. Before we go any further, though, I'm going to ask that you please wipe your feet before entering the hall. This is a sanctuary of comedy, as it were, and frankly, unclean feet just don't cut it here. So there's that. Well, you come here for the comedy, uh, the commentary on comedy, but sometimes we talk musical guests, and uh, I'm going to get on my soapbox here once again and talk about a musical guest that I think is a special one, a record-setting musical guest. This week, we are moving our focus to Dave Grohl. Now, it's interesting because Dave Grohl has been on the show 14 times as a member of, well, we'll get into it as the episode goes on, as a member of a number of different acts. But before I get too mired in the depths of Dave Grohl, why don't we check in with our friend Matt Ardill? Oh, Matt, how are you doing this week? I am terrific. Thank you. And you? I am dynamite. Thanks for asking. So we uh, are going to take a deep dive into Dave Grohl this week in a conversation that Thomas has with um, Ryan McNeil. But... In the interim, I would love to get into your minutia minute and hear what you have to say about Mr. Grohl. Awesome. Uh, Dave Grohl, one of the nicest people in the music industry from everything that I've heard. I haven't been blessed with the opportunity to meet him. But uh, yeah, like this was actually a really important watershed uh, moment in my life when I first saw him performing on SNL. Um, he's born January 14th, 1969. His first appearance, January 11th, 1992, season 17. Uh, that's uh, when Victoria Jackson, Dana Carvey, Chris Farley, uh, during that era uh, of SNL, um, he appeared with the band Nirvana, where he got his start. Um, he then 
appeared the second time a few years later in 1995, uh, December 2nd, in season uh, 21, uh, with the Foo Fighters. Uh, he's that performed a whole bunch of times outside of those contexts. Like he performed with Mick Jagger, Tom Petty, uh, his other like super group, the Them Crooked Vultures. Uh, he's actually been on the episode 14, or uh, he's been on 14 episodes. Uh, so wow. this is the most appearances uh, by any musician. Technically, he should be a Platinum Lounge member. I don't know why he isn't. Um, he he, it, uh, he more than qualifies. It's uh, because people don't value musical guests on SNL yeah. the way they maybe ought to. Yeah, well, I mean, the Platinum Lounge technically is like musical guest, special contributor, or host. So it's different from the five timers. So, but I just don't think people remember the Platinum Lounge. They've only made that joke a few times on the right. on the series, whereas the five timers has become like quite the ceremony and everything. So I, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, he has been on so many times. I mean, so many great performances. For me, it smells like Teen Spirit. That was my heavy goth uh, grunge days. So yeah, I was like mixing up those two very incompatible styles. Um, uh, like big, you know, a big sort of flannel vests that were black and purple and covered in like Celtic knots and silver. It was it was a mess. It was a hot mess in the nineties. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the his appear. I think one of the things that make him so special in his appearances is they've always kind of been special in return. Like the Nirvana episode, the first time they performed. He performed as Nir- with Nirvana uh, there because he performed twice uh, with Nirvana. Um, was when Weird Al had Victoria Jackson sneak a phone into the dressing room, so he could a- so Al could ask Nirvana if he could cover "Smells Like Teen Spirit," oh, and wow. uh, that was the moment that Kurt Cobain felt that they had made it as musicians. Uh, a- a- according to Nirvana lore, uh, which I can see, you know, like being a kid growing up when he did, he did uh, to have Weird Al say, I want to parody one of your songs is like quite the honor. Yeah. yeah, And I bet, I mean, you know, he's done amazing things. Like he's battled animal from the Muppets. Uh, He did that great sketch um, punk band at a wedding. Yeah. Um, yes. Which is which is so terrific. Um, and even just like little cameos, like he did this one, uh, which was the strip club DJs. So he just sort of like came up, and uh, it was um, it was just like he was came came up as just played a creepy DJ at a strip club for like thirty seconds. You know, just thirty seconds. But it was like just the that perfect like oh he's he can he can take a joke and make a joke kind of thing. So. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. So but uh, there, he he's a a great person, and he's given a lot to the show. So I mean, if anybody uh, would make a good fit to the the Hall of Fame, I certainly feel it would be Dave Grohl. Excellent. All right. Well, let's go to that conversation now with Ryan McNeil and Thomas Senna.
setting the table a little bit as far as Dave Grohl's history with the SNL Hall of Fame because he does have a history. I know this is only season two of the SNL Hall of Fame, but Dave Grohl does have a history with us uh, because he's part. he was part of Nirvana, who was a nominee for season one of the SNL Hall of Fame. Uh, so Dave Grohl does have history with us. Unfortunately, Nirvana is off of the SNL Hall of Fame ballot. They didn't get enough votes to stay on the ballot, but I looked at that as an opportunity uh, for for another nominee being Dave Grohl. So thank you so much, uh, Ryan, for joining me today. And I wanted to ask you first off, uh, what project of Dave Grohl's first uh, caught your attention? It was Nirvana. Um, I, and if we're if we're kind of putting a cherry on them being off the ballot, I do agree with it. Um, in prep for this show, I actually watched all of Dave's appearances and that took quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that was a, I'd, I'd had a long, hard shift and that was actually a really great way to, to cap off a long day of spending basically a good hour and a half, two hours of just watching song after song. And watching those two perform those two appearances by Nirvana in 92 and 93, uh, sorry, in 92 and 94, it does seem no. What, wait, hold on. When were they? When were there two? So it was January eleventh, nineteen ninety two. Was their first one, yep. and September twenty fifth, nineteen ninety three. Three. That's uh, okay. their, it. Was the season premiere of uh, right se- with yeah, Charles season Barkley. 19. Yes. Yeah. So those two, I mean, they're they're doing their thing. Uh, they're doing their thing really, really well. But in the, you know, larger like landscape of SNL, it's, it's kind of just a blip. They've had uh, musical acts come in and make a, a larger statement, uh, sometimes even just with one appearance, but um, Nirvana's, you know, land, the Nirvana's moment on the landscape is not a very, very big one, but that was where I came in. That second performance that that season premiere in 93 that's one of those specific memories I have uh, of watching that. I was I was with a friend up at his cottage, his family's cottage, and it was it got cable reception, which at the time was a rarity at a cottage. I know now cottages <laughs> in Canada are really <laughs> tripped out, but at the time, like you know, if you had an indoor bathroom, your cottage was kind of you know the, the, with with running water, your cottage was was swank. So having cable was really quite something. And we watched that episode of them performing Heart Shape Box and then Rape Me at the end. And I remember getting to the end of that first number and thinking, cool. I like I my brain was just blown of see I think that was the first time I'd probably seen them really perform live. Um he was like, what the hell was that? And not long after that our friendship started to splinter. Uh, I want to blame Nirvana, but I mean that that might be that might be mean. So yeah, that was where I came into it. Um Dave is the drummer uh for Nirvana, which is having watched everything again, is a little bit ironic because in his SNL career, his two appearances with Nirvana, he's very, very much in the background. Oh, definitely. Seems like a nervous little bunny. Like if you look at him, his eyes are really scared in that moment of being on live TV, of being on that stage. And it's like, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. Like that seems to be what's happening on his face in both of those performances when you can even see him. Like that's back when the drum riser was up 
uh, off the stage by a good right. two or three feet. So he's actually kind of hard to see in those first two performances, unless the camera gets there and the camera wasn't doing what the camera does now for the musical performances. So in the, it's, it's funny that that's where I came in. That's where he comes into the fray in these moments where he's not nearly as accomplished as he would become and visibly petrified. Yeah. And I remember it's, it's a, it's a weird memory too of, of Nirvana doing the promos leading up to the episode. I think it was all three of, I think it was Dave Grohl, Kurt and Chris Novoselic doing promos for, uh, leading up to the SNL episode. And they all had that nervous energy. I think all of them were a little nervous. I mean, Kurt is known as the reluctant rock star, I think in hindsight, but I think at that point, uh, Dave Grohl might've been as well. So I'm not shocked that you noticed that, that nervous energy uh, when he appeared uh, with Nirvana. I even noticed it, his first appearance on SNL with Foo Fighters. Yeah. I mean, so that not, not to skip too far ahead, mm-hmm. but that was the, the ultimate takeaway of watching all 14 performances beginning to end was watching the evolution of a rock star. You know, watching him, I mean, they're, they're kids. We, we keep forgetting that these bands start out so young. You know, they seem so huge to us because we get into them young ourselves, but they're, they're kids, right? And watching him go from, you know, I guess he would have been 25, 26 at the beginning, maybe even 24 to him now and watching all of that performance just day after day after day and how much it has made him a better musician a better singer, a better guitarist, uh, much more comfortable on stage. Like now he just, he can command a stage where at first he was this nervous bunny. And and yeah, and, and seeing that, that play out in real time. I watched every performance as well. And that, that was such a thrill. And you're exactly right. That's one of the huge takeaways was seeing that evolution of a rock star. We had mentioned his first two appearances on SNL, were with Nirvana. So that was season 17 and season uh, 19. He appeared with Nirvana. Uh, We should say that all told 14 appearances, (laughs) which is a record uh, uh, for for a musician on SNL. I know Dave uh, Grohl is proud of that record. Uh, If you've read his autobiography, he mentions it in his autobiography, how proud he is. Uh, He does mention that that SNL is his favorite show uh, too, but he, yeah, he mentions how proud of he is specifically of holding that record. He also talks about how it got him into music. And it's interesting to hear what he cites as the, you know, his Nirvana, watching Nirvana at the cottage moment um, for him was watching the B-52s play Rock Lobster. Dave is kind of an odd duck. Like Dave can be a bit of a crusty stick in the mud for what is and is not real rock and roll. But there's times where he really gets it, lends himself to much more poppy things. Um, and yeah, to him talking about the B-52s being one of the things that, you know, I would have thought he would have mentioned something like the Clash or uh, the Replacements or something like that. But yeah, no, him talking about 
the B-52s doing Rock Lobster, it shows that this the show is is in his blood. And it it surprised me when we were ta- when we were kind of setting up this show, talking about doing a, a show for Dave Grohl, that he was the one who's been in on as many times. And it's not even close. Like the second is Paul Simon with like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I, I would have thought it was Simon because Simon's been around for this whole basically the whole time of the show didn't he he was on the first episode wasn't he he was on yeah at least he, one of the first handful of first episodes. season yeah. yeah i would have thought it was him i would not have thought it was somebody out of the 90s or mccartney to, i would have yeah, thought maybe yeah mccartney, McCartney would have made sense too, but um even you know we'll get there but like even tom mm-hmm. petty would have made mm-hmm. sense to me yeah uh, an alt rock act out of the 90s is surprising that that's the leader yeah, it's it's just really nice to after reading his autobiography, just how much he he gushes about SNL and how much you said the the B fifty two's Rock Lobster performance really uh, had a big impact on him. Uh, you did mention Tom Petty. We can uh, kind of talk about that now. Season twenty, episode six. Uh, of course, uh, this was November nineteenth, nineteen ninety four. This was a few months after. Kurt Cobain uh, passed away. Nirvana is no longer a band. Dave's in this mo- and still in the kind of this mode of like figuring out his next thing. Big thrill for him. Tom Petty asks him to perform with with the band. Right. I mean, so the first number they perform is "You Don't Know How It Feels," which is a great number, and it has one of the most iconic. And simplest drum lines in rock history. And again, you look at Dave's face and he's petrified. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's still doing like it's really it's like it is ridiculously simple. It's really a thump, 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 thump. Like no, you know, no complicated to it. But he's like, don't speed up, don't speed up, don't speed up. You could see it. And again, his his drums are riz or are, are rise off the stage. You'd notice that that would completely disappear as time goes on. And he is no longer the drummer anyway, but you can barely see him. But when you do see him, he's got like, I mean, there's times where he's really joyful and happy to be there. Like when he's, when he's singing the backup and that kind of thing. But when he's doing that, you don't know how it feels drum line. He's like, you can see in his eyes, don't speed up, don't speed up, don't speed up. Um, Yeah. It was, it was really beautiful to see that, that moment he does kind of let a little bit more loose on the second number in that episode when they play honeybee yeah. he you you what i like about that is you can see that he belongs like he's not just some captain caveman like sm- drum heavy-handed drummer who can just kind of keep time he really can fit in with some real rock and roll legends who have come before him and i think part of that nervousness was maybe a couple of factors. First off, that we had mentioned he loves SNL so much. He might be nervous just because he's on SNL. This show that he grew up watching, he cites it as his favorite show. He might be a little nervous just because of that. And also playing with Tom Petty. Tom Petty asked him to be part of this SNL performance. But Petty also was, I think he was floating the the idea around of Dave Grohl maybe joining the band permanently or semi-permanently. So I think just playing with Tom Petty... Grohl probably wanted to prove himself mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways to Tom Petty, who's yeah. this legend right in front of him. So that was season 20. And then Foo Fighters emerges out of all of this. Lucky for us rock fans, Foo Fighters emerges. So the next time, or the first Foo Fighters appearance, the fourth Dave Grohl appearance on SNL was season 21 episode 7 that was December of 1995 
they are promoting their debut, the self-titled album that was released that summer. So do you have any fond memories of that album and this this uh, SNL appearance in particular? I remember thinking that album was really cute. Uh, like I mean, that was that was that was when um, alt- alternative music kind of took a turn around '95. Like it got it started getting much more produced. It started widening out the scope of what it wanted. It started leaning more over towards pop. And, and I say this to somebody who loves that music. Like I'm not sitting here saying like, that's not real alternative. I don't I don't believe in such things. Um, and this was. This was kind of part of that. Their songs were much more polished than his beginnings with with Nirvana. Um, the funny thing about it, though, is that when he then shows up on SNL to perform live as Foo Fighters, uh, so now you know now we're into kind of the the the, the key of who, what we're going to talk about here. This one particular band with a couple digressions. They're still not. You know, we're talking about the evolution of a rock star. Here's the evolution of a band. Like you watch that first performance and there's a lot of things that don't seem right. His, I mean, his hair is like screamingly long. It's, he's still doing the, the, the drummer thing where it was like yep. down past his shoulders. He's a little flat, like he's not singing as well as he will later on in life. Although he can, and I think that this is something he might have learned in Nirvana, he can scream on key. And that's not easy. Yeah. Um, so you're watching that. And that's the thing is watching those, again, these songs that are written with just so much uh, youthful energy and angst and anger and unrest or whatever, watching them get released out into the world by artists who aren't necessarily completely in control of their craft yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's interesting to see it. And then be witness to what it will evolve into. So watching that, I didn't watch that. I might have watched that performance live. My my memory on on that part is a little fuzzy. But watching it now, I'm like, this. You guys are going to get so much better. And if I was like, if I had paid a ticket to see that show, I would have been like, eh, they're okay. Uh, you know, they're they're better in the studio than they are live. So I, I watched that, and I was really happy that they stuck with it and they kept going and kept growing. Uh, their second number in that show. For all the cows, it's so sweet. Like watching that beginning, that that was the one thing I, I did take away from that is how they had more than one thing in them. They weren't just doing the four four rock at the whole time. They could do something that was actually a little little jazzy. Yeah, yeah. Both of those performances, they're a little unpolished, I would say. And you're right. We were watching Dave Grohl trying to find himself as a frontman during that period. They performed "I'll Stick Around" as the first song, and then as you mentioned for uh for all the cows in the in the second song and i think you know good pretty good song choice of course i mean Mm -hmm. they had they probably had to perform all stick around that was kind of their their i think their first big single What struck me is just watching Dave try to find himself 
as the front man. I think in a lot of ways with Nirvana, he he was comfortable just being the wild drummer, being yeah. the animal-like drummer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this performance was super interesting to me. It's going to get better after after this, but you're just watching Dave sort of dip his toe into being this leading man rock star that we know yeah. him as in 2022. And what I find interesting too, after this, they released The Color and the Shape uh, in, in 1997, which was a huge, huge, huge album. Uh, it had Monkey Wrench, Everlong, My Hero, but they did not appear on SNL no. <laughs> to promote it, which was interesting. Yeah. I mean, tour schedules being what they are, or, you know, schedules, but I find it interesting that we we see all these, you know, we're going to talk about a few of these appearances afterward, but this huge album, this is the album that got me into Foo Fighters, quite honestly. This is what really grabbed me and uh, no appearance on SNL. I mean, it's funny because it takes a while... It takes all the way until their their Christmas episode in season 43 for them to play Everlong. And yes. they don't even play all of Everlong. Right. They just play like the first verse in, as the lead into something else. So, mm-hmm. yeah, these, these iconic moments are kind of skipped over. The next appearance, though, um, they're promoting There Is Nothing Left to Lose in November of 99. In my opinion... Dave seemed a lot more confident during this performance. He was kind of feeling himself a lot more here. This for me, watching it back was kind of the in-between moment. This is, he's got the really short hair at this time, which again, now looking back, doesn't look right. His voice is way better. His his voice is so much better. He's really, I, I don't know if it's because he's a little skinnier at this time or because the style at the time was really, really like, uh, tailored clothes, but I noticed that he's often stomping like he's drumming. Like it seems like he's not quite like like he's more comfortable as a frontman, but still kind of wants to be behind a kit. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing is the way he is stomping is so clearly a pedal. Um, and he's stomping on a time. Like he's either stomping on the on the snare time, or he's to- <laughs> sorry, he's either stomping on the bass time, or he's stomping on the cymbal time. And it's it's once you notice it, you'll never not see it. So it's like I mean, they sound better. They, they like like already just every time they show up, they're better than the time before, but they're not quite what the Foo Fighters that we know and love just yet. But super, super high energy, oh, yeah. more polished, way high energy. Uh, they performed to learn to fly and then they performed a really high energy stack actors. actors. Stacked Actors was to me kind of Foo Fighters launching themselves into kind of the SNL stratosphere. I really loved, I just loved the energy that, the, mm-hmm. that they brought with that performance. I mean, it's an energetic yeah. song, but oh, yeah. but it, it's just awesome to see this band evolve. Um, they had been, I guess, a band, they'd released their first album four years prior to this. So it was just really great. Just really quick sing, evolution. Yeah, yeah. Quick evolution, really great evolution to see. And about four years later, they appeared on a Christopher Walken hosted episode. They played All My Life as the first song on that episode.
what did stick out to me is at this point, now they're fully formed. His his guitaring is incredible. His voice is fantastic. He seems as confident as he's ever going to get. He looks his his hair like again, his look is right. This is it's like, OK, now you guys are. If, if, if I were to put that episode on now, somebody would be like, oh, yeah, hey, the Foo Fighters. If I were to put those first few on, somebody might say, wait, who's that? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's this is where they are now, you know, fully shaped. And they are still going to actually keep getting better as their songwriting goes on. But as far as the, the lineup they had, like this is a band that went through a few lineup changes and their own musicianship. Uh, what year was this again? This was 2003. Yeah. So, I mean, Dave now is more than 10 years into his professional career, you know, of of like full rock stardom, not even garage bands and whatever he was doing in the first part of his life. He's 10 years as a mainstream musician. You can see, you can see the hours he's put in on, on every, on every front. And yeah, like this, like at this point, you're like, oh yeah, this is why they keep coming back. Like they, they, they just basically they get a call from a producer to, to show up for an episode and they know that they're just going to rip the roof off the joint and not have to worry about something twice in an episode. Yeah, exactly. I mean, by this point, Foo Fighters is becoming old, reliable for SNL. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like yeah. This is a musical guess what we don't have to worry about. We know they're going to bring the energy. We know that they're going to take it seriously. We know Dave loves the show. And by this point, again, February of 2003, old, reliable. And that's a compliment. That's, yeah. that, that's definitely a compliment because there's a yeah. reason why he and the band had been uh, back so often. Well, what's what's great about this, too, is you mentioned they played All My Life and um, Jack Black brought it up in their their Rock Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Uh, he goes, the riff for All My Life is so, again, so absurdly simple. It's one note over and over and over. And yet it still slays. So, you know, yeah. like trotting that out at, at, at you know, at midnight, just, you, you know, that it's going to work. After this, I got to say, I'm going to call Dave Grohl out and the show out. No ProBot appearance for Dave. <laughs> if nobody <laughs> knows out there, ProBot was Dave Grohl's project. It was his sort of homage to death metal or not death metal, but just kind of like heavy metal, uh, I should say in general. And so it was kind of, uh, he brought in a lot of heavy metal icons and it was kind of Dave Grohl's just sort of heavy metal uh, side project. It just kind of had that in there. Like you appear all this time with Foo Fighters and Nirvana couldn't, and we uh, don't see ProBot. Uh, no, they, could, they, could, they, couldn't, they couldn't sell them on that one. They couldn't sell SNL on that one, <laughs> but they did again sell them on appearing in 2005. So they were promoting In Your Honor and here's where I think the connection between Dave Grohl, Foo Fighters, and SNL starts really rearing its head for an SNL geek like me. So this was Kristen Wiig's first show. Uh, this was episode five of, of season 31. So Kristen Wiig joined the cast in the fifth episode. So Foo Fighters played. It was Kristen Wiig's first show. They play DOA. They play Best of You. Well, I swear I'm- By this point, they are an absolute, they're just humming at this stage, like comparing them 
I, I dare somebody to watch those two shows back to back the um the the self-titled episode and the the episode for in your honor because it's it's just it's it's inc- it's incredible to see a band just grow that much while still very much doing the same type of music they're not the kind of band like you know, like your Prince or like your um, like your Radiohead or like your U2, who's going to have different phases. Like they've really been doing guitar rock for 25 years now. But just seeing them hone it and get it sharper and sharper and sharper every time is really something. So that was promoting that album again was was in your honor. Uh, and that was Dave Grohl's seventh appearance on the show. Uh, two years later, I mean, Dave Grohl's just becoming an SNL institution Pretty at much. this point, And Foo Fighters is at this point. So they appear uh, in an interesting episode to me. It's hosted by bon- John Bon Jovi, uh, which is important because I don't know if I should shake my fist at John Bon Jovi, but... Foo Fighters only got to perform one song <laughs> uh, during this show, which I'm sure, you know, Dave Grohl probably has respect for for Bon Jovi, but uh, Foo Fighters performed The Pretender. And that was the one song that that I performed that night. This album was where I finally caught up with them live on this tour. Um, And, you know, even being three rows from the back of the arena, they still blew the roof off the place. So it's it's um, it's a number that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's such a great live act, too. I, I was fortunate enough to catch them in 2000 in may of 2000 with the with the red hot chili peppers in albuquerque new mexico my sister so so nice of her that was a graduation gift for me a high school graduation gift she gave she got me uh, and my cousin tickets to see red hot chili peppers and foo fighters in albuquerque and much respect to red hot chili peppers but foo fighters kind of blew them out of the water that night (laughs) right right Uh, which which is not a you know it's not a complete surprise when you know just how how energetic and and great Foo Fighters live performances are. That's the only time I've seen Foo Fighters, though, uh, are over 22 years ago now. So one band that I have seen was Them Crooked Vultures, mm. uh, which was which was the side project. Are you familiar? Do you want to explain uh, Them Crooked Vultures uh, to our listeners who might not be familiar? So once again, uh, we you know Dave like. Dave likes to wander. Dave likes to every now and then kind of just, you know, there's 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 no animosity amongst the Foo Fighters. Like they've had a lineup change or two, but they're not what you'd call, uh, you know, a band that's really gone through a lot of personnel changes. And part of that, I think, is they all respect each other and you know if if one of them wants to go off and do a little side project they're like yeah okay go ahead well you know we know we're going to schedule the album recording for around now we're going to do the tour for around now whatever you want to do in between them and now is your is your own time so dave takes advantage of this now and then and he does you know projects like probot uh them crooked vultures was another one of his which is basically this alternative super group with uh josh holm from uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Dave sometimes would show up on Queens of the Stone Age stuff as well. So that wasn't really a big surprise. Yeah. And John Paul Jones, of all people, uh, you know, and yeah, they, they release an album. It slays. It's it's very it's it's much more like 
classic rock informed than it is alternative. And they, you know, Dave's in good with SNL at the time. So he gets to perform that album. Like if he, you know, he missed his probot shot but he got it with them crooked and vultures <laughs> yeah exactly and uh a good performance his drumming is way better like if than, you then uh, then the nirvana your... performances and the tom yeah. petty performances it's like even though you haven't really been drumming for the last 15 years you've been out front playing guitar and singing <laughs> you are clearly much more of an accomplished musician that that your 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 chops are better for starters and you look more comfortable behind the kit there's not that look of panic that was there the first three times yeah I, exactly i i actually did notice that too <laughs> good uh, good for him and yeah. uh this was a really cool episode for dave as well because he actually appeared in a sketch he was in the the final sketch of the evening oh, i missed that yeah so it was it was a sketch where he was in a band with fred armazon bill Hader, and ashton kutcher who was the host that night <laughs> and fred armazon plays a dad whose daughter is getting married and he asked the daughter if it's okay if he gets the old band back together from like 1983 to play a song at the daughter's wedding and as i mentioned him Bill Hader and Ashton Kutcher and Dave Grohl are this band, Dave, Dave's on drums. And the band is actually this, this punk, like uh, anarchist punk right, band. Right. So they play this like loud song and go crazy. And it's great. And Dave actually has lines in the yeah. sketch. Hey, go easy on us guys. This is our first gig since like 1983. <laughs> you know, I, I guess when you get right down to it, rock and roll always endures. <laughs> Unlike my prostate. <laughs> when musicians try to get into the sketch, it can be a it can be a dicey proposition. Yeah, no. Okay, I, case I in point, anytime a musician hosts, it's either going to be really good or really terrible. There's exactly. no in between. And I'm not sure if Dave necessarily. I don't know. He. he I'm. I'm kind of halfway surprised he hasn't hosted, but. But he, he, you know, he had some lines in this sketch, and he he came off pretty well. I don't, he, he didn't he didn't flub any of his lines. He was singing in the sketch, and there was a mic a mic that shorted out, and that wasn't his fault. But gotcha. really memorable sketch. I think it was a it seemed like it had to have been a Fred Armisen penned sketch uh, that he included Dave in. So that that was a highlight for me uh, when he appeared in season thirty five uh, with them Crooked Vultures. His next appearance was April 9th, 2011. As far as Foo Fighters appearances goes, and this was with Foo Fighters, pretty straightforward, unremarkable, probably compared to a lot of his other uh, appearances. They were promoting Wasting Light by that point. I mean, the the thing about the band at this stage is they're going to really start doing the same sort of, like, and every band starts, a lot of most bands start doing this, is they kind of get into their groove, and then they're just going to do their groove over and over and over. So... Foo Fighters at this stage, they are what they are. They're making great money off it. They're touring really well off it. They're winning awards off it. They are not in any kind of mood to change the formula. So the records, and I say this as somebody who enjoys them, the records from Echoes, Patience, Silence, and Grace forward all are very interchangeable. You could make a playlist of all that era of the band's career, and it would very much sound as though it all came from the same album. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It will lend itself to their performances, like their their staging, their sound. It's all going to kind of 
standardize itself that you know what you're going to get, which I mean, it works in their advantage. If if somebody's thinking about booking them, you know what they're going to do for you. So why not? But, you know, as far as anybody who wants to see something novel or is tuning in to see, well, what are they going to do this time? Like they're not Kanye, you know what I mean? They're not, they're not Prince in that respect, even though they love Prince. They've got a a very, you know, they they had a, a fondness for Prince that they said, seem to be one way. Um, but um, it, it's 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 fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that for, with musicians. But as far as the next bunch of full band performances, like you say, like there's nothing really remarkable about them. They're all very kind of, you know, mirrors of one another, with the exception of the Christmas number, which we'll talk about in a second. And their their second performance of times like these in 2020 for yes. for other reasons which we'll get to exactly well. exactly yep and they're they're not a band that SNL would book and wonder if they're gonna they're gonna produce duds I mean no they're not gonna yeah. produce duds they're no. they they might they might not have these elaborate you know we said Kanye West or even like Katy Perry coming on or Billy Billy Eilish in recent years but they're not going to they're just going to come out give some energy yeah. and keep the momentum of the show going their uh, next performance on SNL this was Dave Grohl's 10th uh, uh I believe or 11th appearance of he's already in double figures uh by this point and the host is Mick Jagger and that's notable in this episode uh because they perform two songs on this episode with Mick Jagger and also they're a part of a trio of musical guests with Arcade Fire and Jeff Beck and I believe if you want to talk about symmetry isn't Mm -hmm. this Kristen Wiig's last show exactly so we had mentioned they Foo Fighters performed on Kristen Wiig's first show and you're exactly correct this is Kristen Wiig's last episode you can see how much they're all enjoying themselves um they they you know, they, the St- the Stones music, by comparison, has changed a lot um, since they recorded it. Like, if you listen to the numbers they sang on this episode, 19th Nervous Breakdown, and It's Only Rock and Roll, if you play those records and you listen to how they perform them now on a stage, it's, it's very, very different. They're much louder. They're much more grinding. I actually think there's a lot less musicianship, just in terms of how, like, it's, it's a little bit more homogenous. But it's a lot louder. Um, they hold their own. Nobody seems to be starstruck by Mick Jagger, even though they probably all should, were and should have been. It's a fun night. Like you can kind of tell that the the mood in the studio was high, and just with all these different people there, they were really really jacked to be there. And knowing it was like Kristen's last night, that there's. Two others left that night, Sandberg and somebody else. It was their last show. But Sandberg and, and Wig for sure. And they all kind of, they were like a part of the, the same class. But right. it was really, really very much about Kristen that night. So you could just tell that the mood there was great. Yeah. And this episode to me speaks a lot about Dave Grohl's Hall of Fame candidacy and how important he and Foo Fighters were and are to the show because they weren't promoting an album. No. At this point, they were just asked to be a part of this special night, yeah. along with Mick Jagger, Jeff Beck, and Arcade Fire. That Dave Grohl was conceivably one of show's first calls as far as you want to be part of this special night with us. That's That says a lot oh, yeah. about Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters. And it's a really great moment, too. You can see Dave uh, on stage at the end singing Ruby Tuesday, mm-hmm. along with everyone else to say kind of goodbye to Kristen Wiig. Yeah. Uh, that, that, was, that was a really memorable recent 
moment in SNL history, the goodbye to Kristen Wiig. She's dancing with everybody. Yeah. She yeah. finishes like by dancing with Lauren Michaels and just watching Dave on stage singing Ruby Tuesday with everybody else. Like, you know that it was a great moment for him to be a yeah. part of that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like he's been on there so many times that he's he's some version of friends with a lot of these people mm-hmm. who, you know, who who are now starting to leave. Yeah, exactly. It was probably a little emotional for him, too. Probably. And yeah. so you had mentioned the Christmas performance uh, that 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 he was a part of. So this is up there as one of my favorite SNL music performances ever. I say this as somebody who's who's watched a lot of them and a bunch of them stick in my brain. But this is one of the ones that really, really jumps out because so first of all, you know, they, they go out there and they do the sky is a neighborhood up for the first number. Nothing really remarkable about it. Like I said before, you could kind of drop it into any of the other albums that have come before over the last few years. Um, it's a good song. Nothing, nothing about nothing bad about the song. It's just they do what they do. And then. You know, again, that second number, you don't always know what you're going to get. That second number, it could be an uh, an upcoming single. It could be an old number. It could be like a deeper album cut. And this is when they start. It's just Dave and his guitar at the beginning. And he's in a Christmas sweater. So you can kind of tell something's afoot. Um, And he starts singing Everlong. And yeah, it's the first time he's got to sing Everlong on the on the show. Uh, what 20 years now after it dropped are we talking yeah it dropped in 97 seven and then we had mentioned that they didn't go on snl to promote that album no so, so yeah here's know. everlong a little bit yeah so here's here's like the first verse or so <laughs> And then they just go full bore Christmas. The only thing I'll ever ask of you, gotta promise not to stop when I say when she says. They start playing Baby Please Come Home and they seg into the Peanut song, Linus and Lucy, which is like one of my very favorite holiday numbers. Uh, like when I start putting Christmas songs into my daily playlist around like the US Thanksgiving, that's one of the first that wants to go in because it gets me in the mood in the morning. And but of course, they perform it their way, which is instead of the piano line, it's a guitar line and they're just wailing. They're all in. They're all decked out. They've got like snow coming, fake snow coming down. Uh, Taylor Hawkins is kind of dressed like an elf. It's just pure joy. And, you know, you would expect like rock stars back in the day needed to seem 
above this kind of thing. Like rock stars, they couldn't be about having fun. Mm-hmm. It had to be about being dark or being mysterious, you know, or, or, or that kind of thing, or even being dangerous. You couldn't just go out there and like have full blown holiday fun. Yeah. And they just, they do, they own it. It's, it's this like three number segue from one to the other, to the other. And it's just so magical. I love it to death. Yeah. And that, that, that was just such a wonderful uh, performance and and like you said like a departure <laughs> from what you would expect and then just kind of them having a lot of fun yeah uh, too that was great and and the one that i was kind of thinking of too was was the one in 2012 with uh he, he actually joined paul mccartney it was when martin short hosted and we'll get there because that's that's yeah. an interesting there's an interesting thing about that one but and yeah. i mean we can jump straight to that because yeah yeah what do, what, what do you think what do you find interesting about that one so the one of the first interesting things about that is the lead up to it because that was around the time that Nirvana was going to be inducted into the Rock Hall of Fame. There was chatter that they were going to stage some sort of reunion on SNL. Chris Novoselic kind of left music like he he's I think he's a politician now, isn't he? Um, yes. He 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 didn't he didn't really after after Nirvana ended he didn't stay with it. Dave of course was doing Dave's thing. They're still you know super duper close, but they never ever they never brought that back in any way shape or form. You know, and you can say what you will about that. I think that's a good thing because I I like to I like things to end. I don't necessarily need to go back to high school and, mm-hmm. and you know have have a reunion every every two or three years. So there was chatter about like maybe they're going to do something. And Dave at the time was working on this documentary about the Sound City Studios in Los Angeles where they had recorded Nevermind. Tom Petty recorded some stuff back in the day. Um, I think Joan Jett recorded there. A lot of bands have recorded in Sound City. And as part of that project, he got Paul McCartney to cut this song with him and Chris and somebody else is with them, too. It might be Pat Smear again called Cut Me Some Slack. And that's what they end up doing. So in a way, Nirvana gets back together on SNL with Paul McCartney out front now, which is kind of fitting. Yeah, I know, which is kind of fitting because Kurt loved the Beatles. And I mean, how many musicians out there can say that they've performed with Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney, let alone on the same show? Yeah, and Tom Petty. And Tom Petty. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, we're talking about SNL Hall of Fame candidacies, and you have Dave Grohl with his own work with his two main main bands, Nirvana Mm -hmm. and uh, Foo Fighters, hit one of his side projects, and then he just pops up with Paul McCartney. Legends, with with, with absolute icons. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. The fact that he's so respected, not only by the show, but by the music legends at large. Uh, to do things like that is just pretty incredible. It's fun to see him behind a kit again. Cause again, like we were saying with like them crooked vultures, he's playing a lot better. You know, he even jokes in his book, his daughter asks him to teach her how to drum. And he's like, are you sure you want me to teach you? Uh, but he, he is drumming a lot better uh, than he was early in his career. And yeah, the, the song the, cut me some slack. It really, it's, it slays. It's a great song. And you had mentioned when you were talking about that Christmas episode that they perform like the Christmas medleys and stuff. That's one of your favorite mm-hmm. uh, SNL performances. One of my favorite, it's possibly, I haven't thought about this too much, but it is one of my all-time favorite musical performances on SNL. It's when they appeared November 7th, 2020. 
the host, Dave Chappelle. Um, I think it's appropriate to kind of set up that evening. Uh, that was the day that Joe Biden officially defeated Donald Trump in the, mm-hmm. in the U.S. presidential election. And there was just uh, going into that. So everybody found out that morning uh, or early afternoon. And then uh, all of a sudden it was that day, you know, what's SNL going to do? What's the show going to be like? Everybody was feeling a certain way uh, about the world in general, about the the country in general, about the U.S. in general. People wanted to see what was going to happen on SNL that night. Dave Chappelle's hosting, which was great, perfect host for, for something like that. And musical guests, old reliable, awesome, Foo yeah. Fighters, musical guests that night. Their first song, good rendition of Shame Shame, but one of my favorite all-time musical performances on SNL uh, was they when they performed Times Like These. And I'm getting chills just thinking about that and talking about it and reliving it. It was it was a more subdued emotional performance of the song mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning, and then it just sort of popped off into into a celebration. And and I like I said, I have chills <laughs> just just thinking about that performance. It sort of encapsulated what a lot of people were feeling. A lot of people kind of going into that episode were really uh, you know anybody who was superstitious looked at that episode when it was announced and really kind of held their breath because Chappelle was the host the week that Donald Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. So there were people that are like, you really don't believe in, in karma. Do you like, Tempting you really fate. Believe, yeah, you are really doing this. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, going like it's, it's, I don't, I think now if you weren't like in the future, if somebody wasn't alive during that time, Trying to explain the mood of that week is going to be so difficult. Like the tension leading into that of, you know, six months of pandemic, uh, just uh, someone in the office, in the most powerful office in the world who just seemed to court chaos daily. You know, regardless of whether you like him or dislike him, the one thing that you have to admit is just there was never any day where things were calm, Um, you know, and, and not even because the world was a storm, especially like, I mean, it's, it's, it, it felt like he brought the storm. And then we get to this moment where it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's decision time for this one person in this one country in this moment that's affecting the whole world. And everybody was holding their breath for, you know, a week because it was, it was a global crisis that couldn't uh, release the results of an election in normal in, in, in a normal time like you know back in the in normally you find out who the leader is by the end of the night you right. know by but time it's time, time to go to bed you know who's won or by certainly by the time you get up the next morning you know who's won but because things had to move so much slower um because of the crisis it was this week-long you know white knuckling so we get to you know we get to this pop culture moment that everybody's used to at Saturday night at 11 30 and it was this it was cathartic is what it was in a song that says there's times like these we learn to love again. It was a beautiful thing to do. It's not very often that an SNL performer performs the same song over the course of their career. Like you don't often get it when they're coming back for a second performance and they decide one to perform an old song. I mean, it happens once in a while, but do a song they did before. Yep. You know, like that that's rare. So 
they really they know the power of that song. It it tends to be kind of late in their show if if you've seen a live show, and they they knew they knew in that moment like what it meant to everybody. It's also a rare time where a musical performance closed a, an episode, and I think it was perfect of the show to allow that song to be the the final note for that episode the final release yeah and as you mentioned it was just so cathartic and something about it starting off just more subdued uh and i guess you know contemplative feeling in a way into this release of of energy i mean that was perfect and then no more sketches after that yeah it closed the show perfect it might be this just kind of talking hashing it out right now might be my favorite musical performance I've ever seen uh, on the show. <laughs> Goosebumps. I'd, I'd, I'd have to take I'd have to take pen to paper. Like if you want to put it in the yeah. show notes for this episode, I can <laughs> I can give it a long hard think and think about so what my other four favorite performances yeah. would be. But that Christmas performance would definitely be one for me. I guess we got to talk about uh, briefly an unfortunate thing that happened uh, earlier this year, uh, March twenty fifth, twenty twenty two. Taylor Hawkins drummer of Foo Fighters uh, passed away and we don't know as of as of now we're recording this in October of 2022 and we don't know if Foo Fighters will continue uh, as a band you know like without Taylor that's up in the air for for Dave and everybody else Mm -hmm. I mean I hope so I know like it's gonna be tremendously hard for them um you know like grief is such a difficult thing to navigate and grief is the kind of thing that is so easily triggered by music so i couldn't i can't comprehend it you know when i say it out loud like this and i mean that's probably why they you know people like dave don't really want to go back and play nirvana songs because it's really hard uh to to do those kinds of things even if you can and that's a big if even if you can zone out and just play the song, you know, they, they, it's music is loaded in that way. And that's one of the things I adore about music. But Taylor was the drummer in this band, not quite from the outset, but for most of its life. You know, there, again, back to Jack Black, the running joke at the Hall of Fame introduction was it must have really annoyed Dave that he got the one drummer in the world who was better than him. <laughs> um and they, you know, he, he, he called him his brother. Um, yeah. You could, anytime you watched an interview with them, you could see how close they were. It's not usual for a band to have the lead singer and the drummer be the two most front facing people. You know, it's usually like, it's usually the lead singer and the guitarist, maybe a bass player <laughs> if his name is Paul McCartney. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I I can't I can't imagine. I'm hopeful as as a fan, um, and, and as somebody who has like nothing but respect for for everybody involved in Foo Fighters. I I'm hopeful that they can carry on, but it is possible that this yeah. this may be the end of it. Yeah, it might be. And we've we've seen you know they've had some tribute shows mm-hmm. in Wembley Stadium and in L.A. and Taylor's son Oliver Shane Hawkins. Uh, played drums, has played drums on My Hero uh, with the band, and that was a wonderful moment. But I wouldn't certainly wouldn't hold it against Dave or the band if they just wanted to say we had a great run and just sort of 
venture out and maybe fi- find new creative outlets. But if Dave never appears on the show again, or Foo Fighters and, and some incarnation never appear on the show again, I think they have just, he has in particular, Dave has just an amazing case uh, as an SNL Hall of Famer. So what's your kind of wrapping it up ultimate case for Dave Grohl's induction into the SNL Hall of Fame if you had to sum it up? Look at the scoreboard. Numbers don't lie. You know, like 14 times. Seriously, like that is more than Paul Simon. That That, that is, the, the, you know, that's unbelievable if it, to, to, to really fathom. And not only is he like more than Paul Simon and 14 times, there's nobody else in double digits. And a lot of the ones that are up at like seven or eight, I, I don't know how many more times they're going to show. Like, I think like Kanye's at seven, but right now I don't think anybody wants to invite Kanye to anything. Beck is at like seven. Arcade Fire is at something like five or six, but I guess same thing. I don't know what's the future of that band. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta respect numbers. I'm, I'm a sports person and you know, I, I have nothing but respect for Cal Ripken. I have nothing but respect for Bill Russell and Wayne Gretzky, Tom Brady, you know, numbers don't lie. There's my contribution musically to the show. Dave Grohl. Not a bad conversation there from our friend, uh, our friends, Ryan McNeil and uh, Thomas Senna. Uh, What do you think? To me, I think potentially this is our first musical guest that makes the Hall of Fame. I think that... uh, while not necessarily a traditional first ballot Hall of Famer, I think Grohl ticks a lot of boxes that boomers know him, Gen X knows him, uh, Gen Y knows him, and Gen Z, to a certain degree, knows him as well. And I think that that is going to help his case uh, in terms of getting in the hall. But the, uh, to, to quote Ryan, numbers don't lie. 14 times. That's staggering feet for a host or musical guest uh you know any of the categories that we we look at here in the hall so does he have your vote that's the question does he have your vote because that's what it's going to come down to the way this works is you're going to vote now how do you get that vote well you need to register you need to register to vote by doing that you basically uh Give us your email address so that we can send you the ballot when the time comes. It's uh, really unintrusive, and it's a, an easy way to uh, score some points with me, quite frankly, because, uh, well, I'll just love it if you do that. So there's that. Now let's get into the uh, case for Dave Grohl. This is the aforementioned uh, times like these from 20, gosh, what was it? From 2020. Uh, This is a fantastic performance of this song, and you're going to love it. So this is uh, Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters with times like these on the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. I'm a road that drives away 
Yeah, that was Foo Fighters featuring Dave Grohl, our nominee this week on the program. Uh, what a what a great rendition of that song, and it's 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 you know even richer when you consider the context that Ryan and Thomas talked about during their conversation. Uh, I, I thought that was uh, remarkable, and it really made me enjoy that a lot. So. 
from the bottom of my heart, Ryan, uh, thank you so much for stopping by. And on behalf of Matt and Thomas, uh, it's great to know you all. And uh, we have a great time doing this. And, uh, you know, keep coming back. Tell your friends about the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. If they like SNL, uh, they like long-form interviews, they might get a kick out of this show. So, uh, uh, you know, with, with, with stakes... There's stakes at, at hand here. We're going to have almost 50 nominees at the end of this season. And um, that's a tremendous opportunity for some great talent to make it into the Hall of Fame. I cannot wait. So make sure you've registered to vote. And uh, again, tell your friends, tell the whole bunch. I just had a hippopotamus for lunch. Uh, that's what I got for you this week. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Unbuckle your seatbelts now, walk down the hall past the weekend update exhibit, and turn out the lights on your way past because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week. Dura. Podcasts and such. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.